Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Race Car on Sin 19.7 every Sunday at 3pm. We talk politics, current affairs, pop culture with a twist. Yes, you're listening to The Race Card. I am Ahmed Yusuf and at the moment it's only me in the studio as I wait for my co-host to come by. Um, and, and before we start, I think um, it would be apt to uh, acknowledge, do an acknowledgement of a country. Uh, we acknowledge the Kulin people as the owners of the land on which we meet, and we pay our respects to the elders past and present. This land was never ceded, and the process of colonization, occupation, incarceration, and genocide that began over two centuries ago continue to this day. Um, again, I am Ahmed Yusuf. You're listening to The Race Cut on Scene 90.7. And... Um, some things we'll, we're going to address today. Uh, one of the one of the things one of the topics really interesting to me is um, white privilege and and what exactly it is. Um, I actually uh, went out roamed the streets of Melbourne um, earlier today to find out what some of the uh, Melbourne CBD um, onlookers thought it was. And um, let me just load it up right now, and we'll find out what exactly they think white privilege is. Do you, um, have you heard of the term white privilege? White privilege? No, not really. What do you think it means? I wouldn't even know, no. Haven't got a clue. Don't know. Seriously. Privilege means being able to uh, go where you want without fear of being attacked. Um, or like persecuted for how you look. Yeah. Hey. Alright, so, no, five seconds. Five seconds, good for it. Alright, so... What does the term white privilege mean to you? What does what? White privilege. Uh, there's not such a thing, man. Not for me. Not for you? No, man. We're all the same. Uh, all, we, blood is red. We're all the same. All brothers. <laughs> what does the term white privilege mean to you? Uh, well, privilege for white people, I guess. Yeah, so... Is this like racism kind of stuff? What does it mean to you? Just stop your head. Oh, I guess. Centrelink? White privilege, I guess, is the kind of um, specialty or privileges that the white people have here. I mean, we're talking about the local white Australian. They're having, you know, having access to welfare, housing, and everything that is um, being state provided, I assume. What does the term white privilege mean to you? Um, wow, that's a <clears throat> that's a pretty hard hitting question. Um, I suppose white privilege is kind of a monopoly of power and ideas 
when it comes to things like business, politics, government, media, uh, even things like the police and the military, dominated by people who all have uh, a collective set of assumptions that never get tested by the people around them. So that's what some of our Melbourne, uh, I guess, civilians thought what white privilege is. Um, tell me what white privilege is. Text in, um, uh, find, uh, tw- tweet us at um, using the hashtag race card and take a, take five seconds. Think about what what white privilege is and 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 let me know what you think. Um, so uh, yeah, give me some of your attention now. So um, that was um, we're discussing what is white privilege and. Um, I've got a few uh, definitions for you guys listening at home. Um, a right, advantage, or immunity granted to or enjoyed by white persons beyond the common advantage of all others. An exemption in many uh, particular cases from certain burdens or liabilities. So what do you think about that? Send me uh, a tweet using the hashtag race card and um, let, me, let me know what you think. Um, and some of the things we'll be covering in the next hour... I'll play a little bit of promo, and yeah, we're going to be talking Adam Goods. We're going to be talking about asylum seeker centres, and, and and I guess the living condition and the medical conditions in those in those facilities. So here's a little promo of what we got in store for you for the next hour. Guys, so imagine their fear, celebrate his culture, and then get food, and then next minute, it's the biggest media storm we've seen in Australia this year, I think. It's unbelievable. It's sad on Australia, and it just points out that this country does not want to have a discussion with Aboriginal Australia about racism and equality. What are they trying to hide? Why are they hurting Australian citizens? Why are they hurting social workers and health workers who are trying to, to assist asylum seekers? Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, and I think Australians should be very worried about this and very worried that, that people are being threatened with asylums. So, yeah, we're going to be talking all of that in just a little bit. Um, we're going to play another music break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to to Callum, who came to Australia with his Aboriginal passport. Um, it's been a big, it's big, it's been a big news story the past couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to hear from him very, very soon. So, um, stay tuned for that. We're going to be playing um, a little song called "Coffee" by Miguel. So, uh, play that in a moment, and yeah, don't forget text, uh, um, send us a, send us a tweet at. Um, at me, Ahmed Yusuf, uh, 10. Um, and let me know what you think about, um, uh, you know, what, what is white privilege and what you think about that. So, yeah, keep the discussion going. Hashtag race card. Um, we're going to be talking to Kellum, who came to Australia with his Aboriginal passport. Um, a little bit of, a little bit about Kellum, uh, before he, when he was arriving, um, he uh, spoke to SBS and he said, I just kept on insisting I'm an, I'm an Aboriginal person returning to my country on my Aboriginal passport, and this is the travel document I'm choosing to use. Hello, uh, hello, Callum. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so tell me about that experience coming to Australia with your Aboriginal passport. Uh, it's the third time now that 
I myself have done it. Uh, the last, uh, the first time was last year with a group of uh, three other Aboriginal people, two of whom went through uh, Melbourne International Airport, and uh, myself and Bo Spearman we went through Brisbane International Airport in September last year. And then the second time was um, in April this year on a trip from New Zealand to Brisbane, uh, and now this most recent time in uh, late June. And on all three occasions, uh, customs officials have used uh, intimidation tactics um, and generally general uh, bullying kind of behaviour to try and push me and, and trickery almost to push me into handing over an Australian passport. But uh, on all on all three occasions, we've all insisted that we're Aboriginal people, as you said, returning to our country using our Aboriginal passport. And on all three occasions, we've been held up for varying amounts of time, from 15, 20 minutes to over an hour. Um, a few countries actually recognise um, the Aboriginal passport. Can you tell me a few that do? Uh, the first time it was recognised officially was in 1987 by the Libyan government. Uh, two Aboriginal delegations that went over in the late 80s to Libya. Um, and they, on both occasions, they used the Aboriginal passport and had their passport stamped by Libyan officials on arrival. Uh, then it was also accepted in Norway and Sweden in the early 90s. Uh, most recently, it's been accepted by the Solomon Islands twice this year, and we've got stamps of entry and exit from Solomon Islands officials this year. I, uh, as an Aboriginal person, how important is um, gaining that sovereignty and, and having the ability to, to use your passport um, as an Indigenous man? It's in um, I guess it goes back to the fact that we as Aboriginal people have the fundamental right, as recognised under international law, as recognised by international bodies such as the United Nations, that we have the fundamental right to determine our own political status and the fundamental right to self-determination. The Aboriginal passport is a practical and a symbolic way in which we can assert that right. So I guess as an Aboriginal man, it gives me great pride to, uh, when I, when I re-enter my country and when I go overseas to countries that accept the Aboriginal passport, such as the Solomon Islands, have that document stamped or come back into uh, Aboriginal land by Australian airports and through Australian customs and only have to present that document, it gives me immense pride and satisfaction. I guess given the um, a lot of issues um, regarding racism towards Aboriginal people uh, flaring up in the past couple of months, how, how symbolic is that gesture getting into um, getting to Australia with your Aboriginal passport, given what's happening with Adam Goods, the closures in Western Australia and other parts of Australia? Um, I guess um, is that um, um, an act of um, I guess an act of transgression towards the Australian government in a sense. Um, I guess I guess it's the same with Adam Good's issue. It's not the issue that he's he is an Aboriginal man. It's that he's acting like an Aboriginal man. That he's practicing his culture. He's engaging with that. It's not an issue for Aboriginal people to travel internationally. But when we do. It's an issue when we choose to travel with our own travel documents. It's the act and the act of being rather than just just being an Aboriginal person. It's it's the assertion and the and the act of uh, practicing culture publicly on a on a AFL field or practicing Aboriginal sovereignty and self determination now right to determine our political status at Australian airports and airports and, and overseas countries. So 
Yeah, it, it's the it's the act, and it's engaging with that rather than just being. Thanks, Callum. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I guess let our listeners know where they could find you on on social media, Twitter, or, or what have you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I think my tag thing is at Clayton underscore Dixon, D-I-X-O-N. And also we've got the Aboriginal Provisional Government website, which is www.apg.org.au. Thanks, uh, Callum, um, for your time and have a good day. Thank you. That was Callum. He came to Australia with his Aboriginal passport. Um, and I think we've gotten a few tweets about what people think white privilege is. Um, we've got one from at Tarnin. White privilege is never being questioned about your identity. Um, and another one from at Mervyn Lan. Mervy Ian, I think that's it. I'm sorry uh, if I'm pronouncing your um, handle um, incorrectly. Um, they say, white privilege is not having to fight the struggle every day. Um, and, yeah, that, that's that's a few um, a few text, um, tweets that we've been getting in. Send us um, your thoughts um, using the hashtag, the, um, hashtag race card. And, and let us know, what do you think white privilege is? is um so we're going to be taking a very quick music break and we'll be back and we're going to be um going into uh, and talking about what's been going on in the week with adam goods this is our weekly uh, this is the, this is our segment um the week that was um and callum um callum uh begun and now we're gonna we're gonna move on to a music track and we'll be back on the other side very shortly Adam Goods in terms, who was he? I think I think he's taking it too seriously. It's just, I mean, they, they, they were just booing. It wasn't much. He's taking it too seriously. Maybe he is taking it a bit, like using racism like too much like, towards this, because there are many other fa- um, players that also get booed while they get played, and I don't know if it's all about racism, like. Uh, I think he's right to be angry about it. I don't know why the people are going against him um, for pointing out racism. Uh, yeah, kind of, but it, 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 it should be something. It shouldn't be taken too lightly. Like, it shouldn't be serious. Like, it's just, it's just booing. It's not racist. You think he's taking it too far? Like, oh yeah, he is. He is. It, it's just. Oh yes, definitely. Like. Uh, it's just bullying. Like he didn't say anything about his heritage or something. He's just bullying. Like, what's that do with racism? He should just get over it. Um, I think it's you know just reflective of the broader racism in Australian society. Like Adam Goods is a proud Indigenous man who's outspoken on you know the racism of the Australian state, the persecution of Aboriginal communities, um, and because of that, he gets booed every time he walks out. I think it's them blown out of proportion probably taking a bit too much uh, publicity towards it and him thinking of resigning it's I think it's just it's not right you know every time you know a black man or woman gets up and speaks about racism they're accused of being uppity or you know they're accused of you know creating divisions within Australia like the reality is that racism happens every single time every single day He's not doing it to himself because he was right to point it out and people criticising him for that, I believe that's just, that's not the Australia I know.
So that's what that's what some of uh, the people I interviewed during the week um, around the CBD thought about Adam Goods and the controversy regarding uh, the booing and whether it is or it isn't racist. Um, during the week, I also caught up with Danny Johnson from NITV um, to, to ask him, you know, what is um, what's going on with the Adam Goods controversy and and here are some of his thoughts um, um, and more to more about the the controversy and the booing and its relations to racism um, and Aboriginal people. Booing has haunted Adam Good's career for the better part of two years, and this week it reached breaking point with a two-time Brownlow medalist contemplating retirement. Many media personalities weighed in on the Good's booing debacle, with radio presenter Ellen Jones saying the swan is playing the victim while the project Wally Lee had a different take a few months ago on ABC's Offsiders. And it's not as simple as it being about race, it's about something else. It's about the fact that Australia is generally a very tolerant society until its minorities demonstrate that they don't know their place. And at that moment, the minute a minor, someone in a minority position acts as though they're not a mere supplicant, then we lose our minds. Panorama spoke to NITV journalist Danny Johnson, who's critical of the media coverage and betrayal of Adam Goods. It's a sad indictment on this country um, when an Aboriginal guy throws an imaginary spear to celebrate his culture and then gets booed, and then next minute it's the biggest media storm we've seen in Australia this year, I think. It's unbelievable. It's sad on Australia. And it just points out that this country does not want to have a discussion with Aboriginal Australia about racism and equality. And the double standards and the hypocrisy in the media. Johnson isn't surprised by Goods contemplating retirement and says his Aboriginal colleagues aren't either. Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking, mate, you know, but a lot, of, a lot of Aboriginal journalists aren't surprised by this. We see this time after time in Aboriginal Australia with Aboriginal stories. And you look back at Nikki Winmar, you look back at Michael Long of what's happened. And for somebody who's, you know, he's won the, the Brownlow medal, he's All-Australian, he's done everything the game, achieved any, everything that most other players have that are legend, and yet he's going to think of retirement because he gets booed um, when he touches the ball for every, every um, game he plays in. It's sad. And for, for Australia to say it's not racism, they're booing him because that is just total crap. And I'm sorry, Australia, but you are wrong. Johnson knows exactly why people are booing but says, why don't people celebrate Goods' war dance and indigeneity like they celebrate the New Zealand haka? Uh, the writing's on the wall, mate. I mean, you look, at, you look at the incidents, right, and how they've escalated over time for Adam's Goods. Now, he was Australian of the Year. He came out and said openly that he's going to take racism head on. Like, he got, he got booed before this year. You know, we let shy away from that. But the booing has got so severe that it's turned into bullying. You look at the incident where he called out the 13 or 14-year-old girl and had her kicked out of the crowd. You look at the, the cultural war dance. You look how proud and passionate he is about his culture. I mean, that's why people are booing. That's why people um, feel isolated by Adam Goods. And, you know, we, we just say to people, why don't you, you know, do, do what New Zealand will do and, you know, love and celebrate um, our cultural dance. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like you just love and celebrate the New Zealand haka. Because every time the New Zealand haka comes to Australia, we love and celebrate it and we embrace it. It's a beautiful thing. So that's what... Um Danny, um, Danny Johnson from NRTV thought, why doesn't Australia celebrate um, Ab- Aboriginal culture um, similarly how they uh, celebrate it there, over there in New Zealand? So tell me why. Um, send us a tweet ha- using the hashtag RaceCut. Why doesn't Australia celebrate um, Indigenous culture similarly as um, New, Zealand, uh, New Zealanders celebrate Indigenous culture over there? Let me know. Send in your hashtags. Um, send in your tweets and we'll be back right after this um, uh, with some more uh, of the week that was. Um, you're listening to The Race Count on Sin 19.7. Remember, tweet us using the hashtag um, Race Count and let us know what you thought of today's show. What is... Uh, whites, uh, what is white privilege? Um, what do you think about the Adam Goods controversy? Let me know. Send in your tweet, and you might just get mentioned on the show. Uh, now, moving on to uh, some of the things that have happened during the week. Uh, Azalea Banks came back to Australia, um, and the last time she came to Australia, she uh, she said, a not- "Australia is a notoriously racist country." Um, commenting on the cultural fetish- cultural fetishism of um, Australian society. Now she's come back and she's, uh, she calls Australian crowds that, have, that saw her play at this Splendor concert violent and belligerent, entire nation, uh, for, for going too far. Um, so, so what do you think about Azealia Banks' comments? Let me know using the hashtag uh, racecar. Tweet, tweet us through and let me know what do you think. Do you think Australia is a country um, that uh, quote-unquote... Um, uh, is culture does cultural fetishism and is notoriously racist. Even uh, given what's been happening recently with Adam Goods, given um, what's been going on with Aboriginal uh, communities being closed down, tell me what you think about Australian society and whether it is notoriously racist or not. Um, you're listening to the Race Card on Sin 19.7, um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on to our week's. Um, feature and that's talking about what's been going on in asylum uh, seeker detention centers and uh, I, I spoke to Mark Isaac who was a social worker there um, with the Salvation Army and uh, he told me a few things about what was going on with um, a few of the people that were living in the detention centers in Nauru. Okay, so I was uh, in Nauru it's a long time ago now. It was in September 2012 I arrived when the camp was first opened. Uh, and I was there until June 2013. Um, so, yeah, a while back. But uh, I think it's still relevant because the conditions that I uh, experienced, I guess, have kind of been replicated in, in a lot of ways. Um, uh, so when I first arrived... Uh, the men were housed in uh, dark green army tents uh, and they were in at the, the rich 50 degrees Celsius uh, during the middle of the day and during the wet season there was um, when the rains were extremely heavy the, the tents flooded uh, when we arrived there was no uh, 
there was no real kind of structure to the camp. Uh, we were told to go out and help them, and we weren't given job descriptions or mission briefs or anything like that. So we just had to kind of make it up as we went along. And um, you know, the physical conditions were extremely difficult. It was hot. They were in these tents with six to ten people, you know, sleeping inside these tents on stretcher beds. Uh, and yeah, during the rainy season, it would it'd be pretty awful as well. But the the biggest difficulty for the men is the um, the, the mental health uh, conditions and the, and the, the pressures on, on mental health. Uh, this concept of being placed in a prison without having any idea of when you can leave or what will happen to you. Um, uh, and so this, yeah, it's the concept of indefinite detention is, is something that places a lot of uh, stress on, on these guys' minds. Uh, and so that, that was the, the hardest part about working with these men was there was, there was no progress. Um, and no concept of an end to their imprisonment and no idea of what would happen to them or what their future would be like. Um, and when you put that on a scale of, you know, months and months of, of waiting, uh, with people telling you you're going to be sent back or telling you you'll never get to Australia, um, it often resulted in, in um, uh, acts of self-harm and, and suicide attempts. Uh, and so that's what I experienced. And... Uh, over the time I was there, the, the physical conditions improved. They built buildings and um, and we set up programs, you know, recreation programs and English programs uh, to try and help the men. But uh, interestingly enough, despite the physical conditions improving, the, the mental health of the men deteriorated dramatically. So by the point there was, you know, guys who attempted suicide five or six times, there were um, one man had locked himself in his room for over 30 days uh, and refused to leave. Um, we had one man uh, have a psychotic episode. Um, uh, and so a lot of the, the other um, causes of this is the fact that these people who, um, who a lot of uh, have fled families and, and persecution, they've left their families behind. So you've got all these ongoing sagas back in their home countries. So things like um, when we were... In the camp, there was these bombings in Pakistan that killed uh, a lot of Hazara people. So a lot of the men had families killed in those tragedies. And, and so when that kind of stuff is going on in their home countries and they can't grieve with their, their families and they're stuck in the centre, it kind of multiplies the trauma. Um, and so the reason why I'd say it's, it's still relevant, what I experienced, even though it was two years earlier, is that... Uh, the, these condition, the, these physical conditions improved and buildings got uh, uh, constructed but then in an incident in July 2013 they burnt the, uh, a small number of the men burnt down uh, the detention centre and they returned the, uh, the men to, to tent-like conditions and then they also introduced women and children into these conditions so you can imagine if it's awful enough for fully grown men having pregnant women and children in these kind of conditions um, is not uh, an ideal situation. If you were still working there and uh, you were contacted by a, a newspaper or media organisation, would you be comfortable being a whistleblower for, uh, and, and letting them know what's actually going on the ground? Uh, definitely not. Uh, I wasn't comfortable the first time. Uh, speaking out against the government is, and, and against the a policy like this is extremely uh, nerve-wracking and, and frightening. Uh, I sought a lot of 
a lot of legal advice before I made any kind of public um, condemnations of the of the policy. And even then, it was with a lot of concern as to what would happen to me. It was quite unknown, and I think that's one of the large fears about. The, the current acts that are coming through, uh, that we just don't know exactly what the government will and can do to people uh, who are speaking out. And, I mean, the reasons why people speak out are because they're, we don't see improvements within the system and we don't see any way of the public knowing about these, these awful atrocities. Uh, you know, we've got media banned from entering the camps. Australian media is banned from entering the camps despite the fact that the Australian people are paying for these camps. So why, what have they got to hide if they're going to ban all media from entering these camps? What have they got to hide if they're uh, creating laws that can imprison people for going to the media uh, and talking about what happens in these camps? So if we're preventing all information from leaving detention centres and saying, oh, there's legal avenues for people to, to access assistance for these asylum seekers within the system, and yet we're having uh, social workers from uh, the uh, Save the Children being sacked and, and deported off the island unjustly, we've later find out, even though the government is saying, oh, they did all these horrible things and we find out, no, that never actually happened. Uh, why would we then trust the government to, to resolve these, these issues internally? And why would we trust the government when they're trying to suppress information from coming out of these detention centres? So... There are a lot of reasons to speak out and to release information because the government are, are trying to prevent that. But when you have laws that you know, uh, target uh, medical professionals from China uh, to talk about what happens there, uh, you have to ask yourself, what are, they, what are they trying to hide? Why are they threatening Australian citizens? Why are they threatening social workers and health workers who are trying to, to assist asylum seekers? Uh, and, um, uh, yeah, and I think Australians should be very worried about this and very worried that, that people are being threatened into silence. That's um, okay. Uh, would you say these measures are inhumane? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. And I, I don't think that the government uh, really deny it, or at least they do on a surface level publicly. But that, that's the point. The point is to make these places so bad that we prevent or discourage people from taking boats. Uh, I think in the global picture, it's a very complicated, very uh, difficult uh, uh, area to, to try and resolve this idea of, of displaced people's movements, global, globally displaced people's movements, and how to how to create the best policy for Australia. But in terms of indefinite detention and offshore detention, they're extremely inhumane. They're designed that way. They breach all sorts of international laws. We've been condemned by the United Nations. We've been condemned by Amnesty. We've been condemned by uh, countries all over the world. It's we know these things do horrible things to people. We know it causes mental illnesses. We know children are being abused in there. We know pregnant women are being abused in there. We know uh, people go crazy within these places, and yet we continue to do it. It's a, it's a form of torture. We've had the the IHMS chief psychologists say it's a form of torture. That was Mark Isaac from uh, former Salvation Army's social worker um, saying that um, detention centres, um, specifically the one he worked in, Nauru, 
is a form of torture. Um, big words, um, big statements. Uh, we'll be back uh, just after this music break. We're going to be playing... You're listening to the race count on Sin ninety point seven. Remember, you can you can you can get involved on the show. Just send us a tweet using hashtag race count, and you can you can get yourself uh, named on the show. What is white privilege? What do you think about um, the asylum seeker detention centers, um, living condition, and medical conditions? And talking about medical conditions, we're going to be talking to um, doctors for refugees. Uh, member, uh, Dr. Barry Fetterford, um, and she's going to be telling us a bit about uh, the medical side of the things regarding the uh, the detention centers and and just the realities of, of some people. How difficult a position um, are doctors in, and health workers and social workers in, um, when they're trying to work within the system, but also um, having their own kind of like ethics and morality questioned. Well, it is very difficult, um, and in fact, doctors and other health professionals are very clear on which side their ethics lie, because all doctors have signed up to uh, the uh, Medical Board of Australia's Good Code of Conduct, and that Code of Conduct makes it abundantly clear what the ethics are. And the ethics are to advocate for our patients. So if we see our patients, um, adult or children, are not getting adequate care, then we go ahead and we raise these issues further up the authorities until we actually do get a positive outcome. That's advocating for our patients. We are also responsible for um, improving situations. That's also um, quite clearly spelt out in the code of conduct under the medical medical board uh, regulations and in this improving qualities that's when we see systems that are failing we have a duty to um, address it or and, and make take steps to improving it now that could be something as simple as uh, computer programs that don't give people diagnoses or don't record people's allergies or systemic breakdowns like that, but also systems where you see that there's an insufficient quantity of an antibiotic or of a pain relief. That's also specified in our code of conduct that we have to do. And lastly, in our code of conduct, we, um, the medical board states specifically addressing conflict of issue, a conflict, conflict of interest, which is arguably what people might say is happening in this situation, the conflict of interest is clear in that the patient, patient's concerns and welfare always overrides um, a doctor's loyalty to their employer. So our ethics are spelled out for us, so there's no conflict of ethics. But what there is a conflict of is following a conflict of duties, following our ethics could, put, could, could land the doctors in jail which is a disgraceful situation. Obviously, it has dreadful ramifications for patients and for the doctors who could potentially be facing jail time just for doing their job. But it also raises the question of why do we as a society want to <clears throat> condone, pass and condone laws that actively contravene medical ethics? This is not something that a society like Australia should be doing. 
this is something that we condemn other despotic regimes and historical um, dictatorships for doing that, for passing laws and making doctors go against their medical ethics. And here we are in 2015 doing exactly the same thing. Would you would you report um, um, abuse if you were working on a detention centre, or is something, or is it just much too dangerous? Oh, absolutely. If I were if I was uh, in that situation, I would certainly um, <coughs> join with those forty doctors and health professionals who signed that letter saying I'm an IHMS entrusted person and I will continue to advocate for my patients and continue to speak out when I see cases of neglect, uh, malpractice or abuse. And I defy the government to jail me, which is the letter that the 40 health professionals signed up, um, which I think is terrific, which is a great stand. The fact that the government spokespeople are saying that it's not designed to apply to doctors or to be unlikely to doesn't really um, or doesn't reassure most doctors but also it's just the threat of potential jail time or lengthy legal cases that could well discourage a lot of active the deterrent factor to a lot of health professionals wanting to speak out about a situation. That was Dr. Barry Federfer from Doctors for Refugees, um, and that draws our show to a close. Thank you for, for listening, and um, uh, remember, you can catch us back at 3 p.m. on Sunday on SIN 19.7, and uh, we'll be bringing you some more interesting interviews and hopefully some more um, discussions on, on race and, and politics and current affairs and, and all that Nice stuff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ahmed Yusuf10, um, the number 10, and uh, we'll be uh, leaving you with. What is racism? No idea, mate. No idea? Depends who you're asking. My friend will tell you I'm very racist. <laughs> no, you're not. What's my definition of racism? Well, doesn't it? People, racist people are racist people. They don't like any other colours, nationalities. Yeah. Thank you. What is racism to me? Something stupid. I don't agree with it. Don't like it. Don't think it should exist. racism um i don't know racial prejudice what about you just ignorance and hate um fear of other races what about your friend fear of other races you can't copy my answer Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.